Report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He laser clickers. Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today, we're back discussing the second novel in the, I was going to say the Old Republic, in the High Republic era, titled Into the Dark by Claudia Gray. Uh, but before we can get into, you know, the meat of our discussion, as always, there's a couple of announcements that I am very, very excited. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ooh. So, you know... You know, we love the Clone Wars, but there's actually another Clone Wars series. You may not know this, uh, but longtime Star Wars fans uh, do. Long prior, time ago in a galaxy far, far away yep. in another uh, network. Prior to the Clone Wars from Dave Filoni, there was actually another animated series called The Clone Wars that ran around the, the release of uh, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, that tied into... Um, uh, into the the film, what was going to happen? It kind of helped introduce General Grievous and all sorts of stuff. And these were much shorter. I think they started out two to three minutes it's, each. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I'm going to jump in because I will. This is this might still be one of my favorite Star Wars television shows. I'm really excited to watch it again. They started with like twenty like three-minute episodes that basically aired mm-hmm. in between other cartoons that were on Cartoon Network at the time. Mm-hmm. Just kind of telling stories of the Clone Wars. I enjoy them as kind of like, imagine what, like, re- what would Republic propaganda look like during the Clone Wars? And they were so popular, they got brought back for like actual, I want to say like five 10-minute episodes or maybe it was five 20-minute episodes as a lead-in to episode three yep. with the best depiction of General Grievous across any media mm-hmm. he's, he's legitimately Absolutely. scary it's i they were so i don't good. want to spoil anything i mean they came out on like again between 2003 and 2006 yeah 2003 yeah, so to like, yeah yeah uh they are fantastic oh, and i so... cannot recommend them highly enough you know what guys we, maybe we should actually go back and like review these sometime because so... i think we should oh these were so I, I good they were so well, good. Nothing against the Clone Wars, you know, Dave, Fil- Dave Filoni's version. I love that one too. And you know, these are no longer um, uh, canon, but it's a really cool art style, really cool stories. Um, as Steven said, they started being three minutes long. I think uh, by season three, they were like twelve minutes long. They only had four, five twelve-minute episodes. I think instead of like twenty-three-minute episodes, but phenomenal. Absolutely cool, really cool. And the great news is that they're coming to Disney Plus on April 2nd. So mm-hmm. for all of you who've never watched Clone Wars before, not The Clone Wars, but Clone Wars by Gendy Tartakovsky, um, this is your chance. I'm excited. This is really cool. I am excited because I really love how they portrayed Mace Windu, especially in that one standalone episode, which I'm not going to give away spoilers for those who have not seen it. But please watch these episodes because it really gives Mace Windu. You understand why he walks around the way he does and why he's such a bad egg. Let's just maybe this will be what we do in the month of April because, you know, well, Bad Batch is coming out on May 4th. Sorry, spoiler alert for the release date. So we've got about a month to play with. Maybe we can do a couple of episodes to, you know, warm back up as we get back into the Clone Wars season. Yeah, I think we should. That sounds that sounds awesome because like this show is so good. So 
Star Wars Clone Wars hitting Disney Plus on April 2nd, along with a bunch of other Star Wars content too from the from the from the vault. So uh, we're also getting Ewoks: The Battle for Endor and um, and Caravan of Courage, an Ewok adventure. Those actually came out in reverse order. But these are two TV movies that were released uh, after Return of the Jedi in the 80s. And they're actually, they're really fun. Um, you know, a lot of this content was released, oh, I want to say it was in late 2000s, sometime probably between 2000, I want to say 2006, 2007, 2008, mm. somewhere in there. I can't remember off the top of my head. They were, it was released on DVD once, but other than that, like, and I, so I still have my old DVDs, but they, these haven't been available for people to watch in so long, and they're really forgotten Star Wars movies, and so um, both of the live-action Ewok movies set on on Endor uh, are, are are coming out on April 2nd as well, and uh, there was also, believe it or not, again, even prior to Clone Wars, there were two other animated series uh, that Lucasfilm did. <clears throat> One of those is Star Wars Ewoks. It ran for two seasons, and uh, and it kind of told showed off the adventures of of Wicket and his friends on Endor. Uh, and both seasons are hitting Disney Plus as well. No news about Star Wars Droids that ran for one season. Uh, for whatever reason, um, they're not releasing that on Disney Plus yet, which is a bit unfortunate. Uh, again, I think they released one season or a selection of episodes on DVD uh, for both droids and Ewoks, but the entire Ewok series has never been released. Um, So this is, this is cool to see. And, and by the way, just to not, not to sit there and throw it out there, but you're, this is making me uh, feel much older than I am. Both of these movies, Caravan of Courage and Ewok Adventures came out in the (coughs) eighties. Um, because I did look that up. Because William, I think you said uh, maybe the wrong time. No, they one was originally released. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. What? Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, one was November of '85, which I believe was Battle of Endor, and the other one, Caravan of Courage, was released November of '84. So basically, they were yep. a year apart. Yep. Yeah. So they came out in the a little while after Return of the Jedi, and you know th- these haven't yeah. really been all that available for for people to to go see so it's i'm excited that the entire series is finally coming out uh on disney plus soon and last but certainly not least uh they're actually releasing a portion of the holiday special on disney plus uh thank god it's only a portion (laughs) yeah they're they're releasing the best part uh you're we're not gonna get the whole holiday special but the, the the standout moment of the holiday special was actually the Boba Fett cartoon, which, to my knowledge, I don't think ever had a name before, but they're releasing it on Disney Plus under the name The Story of the Faithful Wookiee. Uh, and, of course, this is the this is the uh, the very first ever Star Wars animated uh, uh, episode uh, that came out in 1970. Was it Fall 77 or was it November 77 or 78? It was like shortly after uh. A New Hope came out I, I can't remember now but that one i'm not even gonna it was it was before really my time me you, you'll rem- yeah, you might remember time <laughs> yeah i i should remember it's my time but i'm not going to yeah for that reason but but either way um this, this is great right we're, we're pretty, they're basically going into the vault and releasing a whole bunch of the old star wars television shows with the exception of droids and the full holiday special they've gotten most of the big stuff now um so i'm i'm very excited That's- 
pretty impressive. I'm really yeah. glad that, I mean, not that Disney Plus wasn't already a hub for Star Wars, but getting all of the old stuff in there uh, is a huge win. Yeah, it, it really is. It really is. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see that. And actually, now, now you've, I did, I, I'm, too, I'm bummed I didn't do this before the episode, but now I kind of want to go back and double check which episodes were available on the DVD. I don't even remember at this point uh, of Ewoks. Because uh, this will be an opportunity to see more uh, of the series that fans may not have ever seen before. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And as as Steven said, uh, the Bad Batch, of course, the the spiritual successor to Star Wars: The Clone Wars, premieres on May fourth. You know, this is just a reminder, but like we'll be back with a regular episode starting May fourth through the end of the season. We don't know how long it's going to be. Uh, my guess is twelve episodes, but nobody knows you know 12 seems to be disney plus's style but uh yeah we've got more star wars animation coming our way very soon i'm just glad we have all this all the star wars stuff that we can actually read or watch it's it's amazing it's really cool but of course, while we could geek out about classic Star Wars television for a very long time, we're actually here to discuss the uh, one of the newer books that just came out in the High Republic era. Tom, you want to tell our listeners what we're going to be reviewing today if they didn't already realize it from the uh, title of the episode? Sure. Today we're going to be reviewing The High Republic Into the Dark, written by Claudia Gray. In this book, Pateron Reith Silas is being sent from the cosmopolitan capital of Coruscant to the undeveloped frontier. And he couldn't be less happy about it. He'd rather stay at the Jedi Temple studying the archives. But when the ship he's traveling on is knocked out of hyperspace in a galactic-wide disaster, Wraith finds himself at the center of the action. The Jedi and their traveling companions find refuge on what appears to be an abandoned space station. But then strange things start happening, leading the Jedi to investigate the truth behind the mysterious station and the truth that could end in tragedy. Mm. So this seems like it's picking up a little bit from what we had with the great disaster from the first book. Oh, and there's repercussions God. throughout Tom, everything. I, I have so many. Con- uh, we're, Go ahead. Sorry, this is the one I, so William and I talked about this book briefly the other day, and this was my one complaint is I don't know when this book takes place. And that's okay. not quite true. The two, so the two books so far have been Into the Dark and Light of the Jedi, if I'm remembering that correctly. Right, and then there was the um, the young reader that was in the middle of that. Yep, haven't read that yet. So Light of the Jedi, my read of it is it takes place over a couple of months. The disaster happens, hyperspace gets closed down. The disaster propagates over the course of a couple of months to the point where like mm-hmm. planets are running out of food because they can't get shipments in. This novel, well, characters move between planets. They gather up like hundreds of thousands of droids in a single location, which I assume takes time. And then they're you know finally able to plot and reopen and so on. Um, my read of Light of the Jedi was it takes place over a couple of months. Right. And one of the character, characters is named Jora, who's a Jedi master, who's Reith's master, actually. And she remarks, and I... This is one of those secrets. Uh, as you know, long-time listeners will know, I tend to be the last one to finish a novel. You both had finished Light of the Jedi <laughs> a little bit before me. So I had this yeah. okay. okay. in my brain. Um, but Jora, who I thought traveled back to Coruscant, but maybe not, does mention before she's killed in the novel, Light of the Jedi, 
that her Padawan is on Coruscant. She's giving him some extra time to enjoy before, you know, they head off to the Outer Rim. Mm -hmm. But it's this story of why the Jedi takes place over a couple of months. The time in Into the Dark, where they're on the station, was kind of stranded while during the disaster, seems to take a couple of days. And it doesn't really seem to fit, especially with, like, Wreath, who's been sent out to the, the frontier. By the time he gets back to Coruscant, Jorah's already dead, which I had read and let it kind of is, like, happening a couple of months later. None mm -hmm. of which... Uh, this is, wow, I, sorry. I started this off on a super nitpicky uh, opening. <laughs> no, no, go, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. No, because I... I overall I enjoyed the novel. This was just like it actually reminded me a lot of reading um, the New Jedi Order back in the day, where you have multiple mm -hmm. authors writing in concert at the same time, and so occasionally you just get those minor details that slip through, and you're like, oh, well, this should have we should have reordered these two plot points ever so slightly, or you know, adjusted or whatever. It doesn't make a difference to the book, but I thought it was interesting. My rant is over. That took a really long time. And I apologize <laughs> to everyone. Well, you had to get it out because you actually helped me remember because I finished it so long ago. And again, this one, I did the audio version of it instead of reading it. And I enjoyed the audio book. I enjoyed this book as well. Um, but you bringing that up and the time frame and all that now gets me to think that I don't know if it's a couple days when I was kind of listening to this. It seemed like I wouldn't say it. it didn't take place longer than a month. It seemed like it may have been a couple weeks at a stretch but also i do agree it didn't take place in the amount of time that light of the jedi took place with the whole hyperspace being shut down because that was mentioned and that's why you ended up having a bunch of refugee refugees going into this abandoned space station mm. yeah I, I really liked the setup for the novel i think my biggest complaint with light of the jedi is we had too many characters to keep yeah. track of um the character, like, there's still actually a good number of characters in Into the Dark, but I found that they were much, much easier to keep track of. We had mm -hmm. Padawan Reef Silas, who's kind of the earnest young Padawan, um, almost the whiny Anakin, and I'm like, I don't want to go to the frontier. <laughs> I want to stay in the library and read books. Um, that's my impression of Reef Silas. Um, we had Des Ryden, who's kind of the adventure Jedi um, and kind of a mentor, kind of, to Reef, and that he was the previous Padawan of Reef's master. Mm -hmm. um, one of the characters I really liked as well was uh, Orla Jarini, who was um, a Jedi. I, I want to say Jedi Knight, but I don't know that she has a rank technically anymore. But we find that she is uh, becoming a way seeker. She doesn't agree with the council's uh, teachings necessarily and the way they guide the Jedi. So she's gotten permission to kind of go and do her own thing, which I thought was a really cool um, kind of detail. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, go ahead, William. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say I, I I liked a lot of these characters a lot, and I mean not surprising. I think Claudia Gray usually does a, a great job of of creating engaging characters, and I just I, I enjoyed how this book kind of slowed things down a little bit and let us focus on uh, a smaller group of characters. There's a bunch of stuff in the galaxy happening on you know around them, and and you know. While it does tie into um, Light of the Jedi in in some ways, you know you don't have to have read it. And Stephen, all of your points about the timeline are are totally valid. Some I re I recognized as I read it. Others I didn't really quite notice. Um, but I I appreciated how it allows us to slow down and really get to know Wreath Silas, who just is you know all he wants to do is be an archivist, right? And mm -hmm. and these and these other Jedi 
Um, I have some, we'll get into this. I have some thoughts about how the, the, about the Drengar and how the, the Nile were portrayed. I feel like it actually made them a little less scary. Um, than even Light of the Jedi did. Um, well, wait a minute. Are you talking? You're talking the Nihil. The Nihil. Because- yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. 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 But okay. like, I-, I enjoyed it overall. Some cool concepts and some some neat uh, plot twists and, and mm-hmm. things. Overall, I-, I I thought this was a really fun read, and I I really enjoyed right. it. Right. Well, I really- sorry, guys. I was, I was gonna say, Stephen, wasn't it Jedi Master Comic Vitus and Orla Janney? The the thing that I appreciated about this is they did have kind of like there were two stories going on at the same time because you got to see how Orla and, and comic kind of raised in the ranks together with their little thing that they had to go through. And you kind of, at that point got to see how Orla was, was moving one way and Cormac basically was saying the other way. Yeah. I so, really appreciated just in general, the, uh, the way, uh, into the dark, especially has handled the Jedi order. Yes. Um, there are lots of, I think, valid complaints we can throw at the Jedi Order as we see it at the time of like Phantom Menace and uh, kind of beyond as the Order is kind of struggling to figure out its place in the galaxy. I really appreciate the the approach here. Like we see, I almost want to say um, a Jedi Order that isn't quite as subservient to the Republic in some ways and is a little bit more um, able to follow its own uh, kind of moral compass. Not that mm-hmm. that compass can't be wrong in some cases, but like I really appreciate that like Throughout the novel, um, Tom, you mentioned there's kind of this B plot bet- with Orla and Comax. I guess it's a C plot technically. Uh, we'll true, that is the C plot, right? Um, but where they, you know, they went on a mission with their masters. Comax's master was killed. Uh, Orla, you know, felt her instincts told her to do one thing. Her master told her to do another, and that kind of damaged her trust in the council's ability to um, interpret the Force. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like in some of the like Phantom Menace or, you know, uh, prequel trilogy type fiction, like Comac, who is struggling with this darkness inside of him, you know, this inability to like understand how to process emotions as a Jedi. Uh, I expected him to be the villain at the end of the novel, like he as he goes darker and interacts with these statues that, you know, are having harboring the dark side. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like this twist. I'm not, it's, I don't even know if it's a twist necessarily, but this subversion of like, no, like the Jedi Order understands what each of these characters is going through and has ways that they support and work through that. Mm-hmm. Um, things we don't see, I would say, by the time we get to, say, the Clone Wars. Like, would Ahsoka have been a way seeker in a different time? Mm-hmm. I suspect so. Good things question. Like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The the one thing that I appreciate, you touched on a bit of the the, the dark side when it came to Master Comek. Um, and, and I know we're jumping all over the place, but the thing with the statues that were inside this station. And again, we're all over the place. What I found fascinating about that was, if I remember the book correctly, and hopefully you guys picked up on this too, it seemed like it was this, They first first off, they take these statues, they find out that, that they're imbued with the dark side. Okay? And um, they feel that they have to get these back to the Jedi Temple because they, they need to basically destroy them. Once they get them back to the Jedi Temple, they realize that, um, wait a minute, they were supposed to be on the station for something. So they ended up having to take them back. The thing that I found fascinating about this is at some point during that whole thing, was there a mention that the statues were basically put there by dark side Sith, if I understood correctly, because whatever was on that station scared them. 
mm-hmm. more than the Jedi Order at that point of time. Yes, I do remember that as well. Okay, good. Um, I was right. We kind of, and it's it's not super detailed, but let's let's talk about the history of the station and kind of what's going on. Um, okay. So the characters arrive at um, a station. They you know have they're taking shelter from the storm, um, and they discover that this is a station of the Amaxines, um, a race we've kind of I don't not that I know of at least we've never heard of. Um, and the kind of thing with the Maxines is they were kind of these famed conquerors of old. Um, and I'm, I almost wanted, I'm blanking on the name, the character, the race, uh, from the Han Solo trilogy, the original Han Solo. Oh. Um, I want to say it was like Zer, I'm not, it's not Zer. Anyway, regardless of what it is. Yeah. Um, had those kind of eyes. Like he's an ancient conqueror, a race of ancient conquerors. They disappear. We don't know what happened. Um, and we come to find out later that the Drangir, who are kind of these tree plant based evil creatures, had reverse engineered the Amaxines kind of launching system, the way they invaded and scouted out planets and invaded the station. And then, um, yeah, there's a mention that this it was, maybe it was Sith, maybe it was the Amaxines. Someone mm-hmm. didn't want the Drangir out on, loose on the galaxy and so prevented them from doing so. Right. Um, by insta- installing the statues and kind of preventing them from leaving. Um, all which is this, I love this kind of layered world building we're getting and that like mm-hmm. it starts hinting at these really cool stories we might get in the future. Yeah. Um, and if, even if we don't, I think that's fine. Like it just, it makes the the universe feel larger and interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I, I found fascinating was that here you have these Drangar, a, a plant-based being that they can become dormant by, at least we know of if this is true, the dark side of the force, because these statues basically made the one the ones that survived within the station dormant and as soon as they were taken away and then the the drengar actually figured out how to get back to the station then it was like okay then ended up being creepy as heck Mm -hmm. and it made them a very good to me it made them a better villain than what they're trying to set up because now you've got if if it's the one thing the Jedi are supposed to be scared of, or you will see what I would think this would make them more scared because they would have to use the dark side to basically make the Drangir, Drangir um, inactive to defeat them. And that's part where the Jedi don't want to go instead of a bunch of pirates. They're yeah. just like, okay, we can defeat them this way. Yeah. I, I love the Drangir. You know, I, I, I thought they were, they were very scary. And I, I, I almost wish, I almost wish I hadn't known about them going into the book. So I feel like again, ah. they kind of hyped up the drink You know what? Agreed. Did and and Sorry. so I, I knew Wait, that there was, was going to be this. Was this a thing? This was a thing. I didn't. I had no idea they were there. So when like it's like oh, and then like all this plant life on the station suddenly like they were there the whole time, but you didn't know. Mm-hmm. I was com- well completely blindsided. They, uh, by their I wish I'd had that I experience. It's... I really wish I had because because yeah. they kept talking about it and it was in a lot of the. They had some videos and stuff talking about like yep. the Drengear, the Drengear, the, the two big villains, the Nile and the Drengear, and and they were like, oh, yeah, there's, there's these like plants that are are alive, and so the whole time they were on the station, and I I knew the Drengear would make an appearance in this book. I was like, okay, there's a lot of plants. Uh, those must be the Drengear. I don't know how they're gonna come alive or whatever, but like eventually it's gonna happen. And I feel like it just it just took a little bit away from that that surprise. I was mm-hmm. the thing that surprised that, me most. Yeah was how long it took to to awaken the drink gear. It was probably what, two thirds through the book? At least. I think yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
but I loved them. I, I loved them. I loved the Maxine station. I actually forgot while I was reading this, I just remembered the Maxines were first referenced in Bloodline. Uh, they first appeared in Bloodline and briefly were referenced in Resistance Reborn. But really, this is the first time Ooh. we've gotten to uh, to to see this station and stuff. Anyway, I just I really love this whole aspect of the story. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Yeah, I just wish they kept it a secret. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's yeah, hard for marketing. And stuff, I'm loving but... the fact that I I had I literally had no idea they were supposed to be in there, and so when they show up, it's like, oh wow, that's that is terrifying. The yeah. walls are moving. What is going on? <laughs> mm-hmm. well, oh, I'm so glad that. you had they that experience. There. And and the other thing about it is, weren't they scratched by one of the plants before they awakened? Yeah. Because they they came to the realization that you know here here they are these. You know, AT gardening droids are all over this station, and they were trying to get down the center of the station to see what was, because I think that's where the the statues were originally when it all started, at the bottom. So they had to get down on the bottom of the station. As they're going through, they came to the realization that they had to be dead center because if they touched those plants, they were dormant. They had some kind of poison or some kind of toxin inside them that were making them sick. Mm -hmm. And also, if I do remember. If they touched the plants at all, didn't the AT gardening droids attack them as well? Mm-hmm. So that set up like not, you know, not only were these droids just gardening, but they ended up turning that ended up being scary after a while because if you did anything the plants, they started attacking you. Right, right. And you know, the the fact that I mean you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the fact they had those uh the statues that they thought were imbued with the dark side, so they took them to the Jedi Temple and and they actually took them to the to the old Sith shrine below the Jedi temple, which I thought was really yeah. cool to see and how they like dug mm-hmm. up parts of the temple that nobody knew about in order to take these statues down there and purify them. Really cool stuff. Only to discover that, Oh shoot. We've actually freed the, the dark side and the Drengir on the station, allowing them to come back to life and, and take over. Loved that whole twist. I like that part. I was not mm-hmm. expecting. I was like, I was very surprised because when they so, left the station, I was now, like, wait, I thought they were supposed to have these plants, life plant creatures on the station. Th- then they're gone. They're going back to the course on how the heck are they going to get back here? You know, I was very right. surprised. Well, that, that, that brings up a great thing. What did you think of the characters that were introduced because of the ship called the vessel that we were talking about? How were they? You just mentioned William, sorry, how they were going to get back to um, the station. What, no, go ahead. What was the name of the ship? Um, the vessel, or do you want me to do it no, as Chekhov? Yes, I, I can't do it as Chekhov. No, I know it's the vessel. What was its name, Tom? Uh, vessel. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry, I know. I know. Anyway. It's okay. Oh gosh, Leox, Gassy, and I know, but the whole thing sets up a great joke. Okay, I mean, anyway, continue. The, the, the whole yeah. that whole ship and their the crew, Leox, Gassy, and and Geode, they're, they're just one giant joke. I feel like, and I loved yeah. it. I loved it. Actually, yeah. so. I want to skip. We'll talk. Come back to Leox and Affy in a moment. How did you guys feel about Geode? And so Geode for ah. is is the mm. the rock creature that is on the ship uh, right. as its navigator. Right. Um, I I loved it. I, I'll just, I'll just say I'll start. I love Geode because uh-huh. I thought Geode was gonna be like the whole time when they first introduce it, introduce Geode and and like. You can kind of, you're, as you're reading it, you're, you know, we're in the, the heads of like Wreath and others. They don't believe it. And, and honestly, neither did I. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this like, Leox is just insane. The scenes are described as 
Like, Steven walked into the room where William was sitting and a giant rock named Geode. The rock doesn't mm-hmm. move or do anything throughout the entire scene, right. but it's treated as if it's a character. Right. And sometimes right. And the rock will magically appear in other locations in the ship and they'll, it'll treat it as a character. Like, you know, Geode gave him a look, you know, or whatever. I'm like, Geode didn't move. Like, it's a rock. Right. I, so well, I feel, okay. I feel slightly differently. I, I think I was, I got like 120% too much geode. Hmm. Uh, I thought it was a clever bit at the beginning, but every single scene had, was basically the same punchline. Like, mm-hmm. she was crying. She went into a room. Leox couldn't, you know, couldn't, she wouldn't listen to Leox, uh, but geode was able to get through to her. Like right. every single punchline, every scene with him was the, and then the person was talking to a rock and the rock didn't respond or, and it, it was funny. It just, I wish, I wish they'd gone a step further and act like had a scene where it was more than just him, like other characters reading into him, if that makes sense. That's, that's fair. I, I can, I can see that critique. I think the, the thing I, I really liked though was by the end, Geo did, he saved, uh, he, you know, he saved, saves Reith. And, and all of a right. sudden you realize, oh my gosh, he's actually alive. <laughs> you know, the, this whole time, I th- I almost feel like Claudia Gray really uh, played up the the like the insanity of it and the absurdity of how of mm-hmm. why are you describing this character's reactions and nothing happens and you find out at the end somehow I have no idea how I don't know how Geode gets around I don't know how Geode how why people in- see reactions on Geode that just don't exist maybe it's like a droid right you know C three PO can look like he's making fun of you or, or or laughing with you or just being pleasant. His face never changes. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the end, you realize, oh my gosh, Geode is actually real. He actually is alive. And I didn't believe it the entire time. I thought it was just... So at first, I guess I was starting to get annoyed, but I was like, oh wait, he, he actually is real. And I just thought it was... I just liked the character. Okay. Tom, well, what did you think? Listening to the audio book, the, the feeling I got was... Leox, I think right now is one of my favorite characters, but the he, the voice actor portrayed him like a hippie, which I, could I think right. made the whole thing about the rock work because he wouldn't be stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, but it was funny because you're sitting there listening to this hippie guy talking to a rock and then answer the rock like the rock ended up talking to him. I could see that. Yeah. The way he was described, I definitely could see him as kind of a hippie. And I I will say, I liked Leox as well. I thought he was a good Mm -hmm. character. I was a a little more mixed on Affy. Mm -hmm. Um, So Affy is um, Scover Bine, who runs the Bine Guild, of which the vessel is one of their ships. Um, She's kind of like uh, an orphan who was adopted and is going to be, is kind of slowly being groomed to become the next. like guild master for the Bind Guild. And she, um, uh, did you get the appearance? She was almost like a teenager. I mean, she was really young mm-hmm. from what I feel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's on the younger side. She's still kind of learning the ropes. She was kind of put on the ship in order to, um, you know, season. She ended up being liking me on the ship. And a lot of her story kind of is all of this is kind of the B plot of the novel is she discovers, um, kind of smuggler code throughout this station that they're on. She comes to realize that the, even the Bind Guild is using it as a way station. 
This leads her to discover that the guild uses indentured servants and the station is kind of one of the ways people buy their way out. They go to the station because it's dangerous, but may be able to help them move faster. Um, Using the Maxine Mm -hmm. transportation, yeah. Um, Sometimes it kills them, sometimes it works. And she discovers like her parents died, potentially, uh, I don't think they died there actually, but like from things like this. And then she wants to gather evidence and kind of expose uh, her adopted mother and kind of right the wrongs of the guild. Um, Mm. I thought it was a fine plot. It just, I didn't find it super interesting personally. Mm. It was just kind of like, okay, cool. Like she's out to take down her own guild. Like it makes sense, but it just, I didn't find it to be super interesting as a story. Mm. The only thing I found interesting, the, the thing that I found interesting about it was it seems like within the high Republic, they're treating spice a little bit different, I believe, than how they treat it in the rest of the Star Wars universe, because I think Affy saw it as there was medicine that can be made out of it. It's not just to get you high and all the other stuff, but there's other uses for it. So it's almost like it, they're treating it almost like a gray area. Am I, if am I remembering uh, that correctly? Because you know, yeah, I there's a. My recollection is, yeah, like they're they're transporting spice. There's kind of a whole a couple of lines around. I'm like, oh, we want to got to make sure the Jedi don't find it. Right, um, the Jedi it had to be well hidden. Yeah, and and then the Jedi find it, and it's kind of a, like, well, you know, it it's okay, it happens or whatever. Um, mm. You know, it does have. See, it did have legitimate uses. Um, fine, generally. Um, I don't remember where I was going with that point, other than that. But yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. sorry. I was going to say one of the things that I was a little bit surprised by, and this I thought was a great example of like, oh, we really aren't talking about like the old school. Um, old republic or the i guess it's not old school because that's the future prequel era old republic is like uh at the end of the novel afi has gathered this evidence that her adopted mother is you know doing evil and it the novel ends with her taking this kind of even she notes like not as much evidence as she wanted and she brings it to like she it describes like she as a teenager she walks into like the republic's uh, I don't know, building of uh, like e-commerce or whatever. And like, I need to see someone, please. I have evidence of wrongdoing. Um, and it's it's very much set up in a way that's like, oh, this would never actually work. Like, there's mm. no way this would ever happen. The Republic's just going to throw her out. She's a teenager with like a bunch of scribblings on paper with very flimsy evidence. But again, showing that this is this is the High Republic uh, it's a different era. Like they, they take it very seriously. Her adopted mother is arrested. The guild um, is kind of dissolved. Um, I thought that was it was actually a pretty strong ending to what I generally thought was a pretty weak B plot. And she gets to to, yeah. to own the vessel and with uh, with with Leox and and Geode. Yeah, I I, I agree. So, I think I would say eighty percent of her story. I wasn't super invested in her story until near the end when she was forced to make a decision and decide whether or not to turn yeah. in her adoptive mother. That's where I thought it got really interesting because yep. mm-hmm. she's trying to, to wrestle with this, like, you know, her adoptive mother has been so good to her and so kind. And, 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 and yet she's also this horrible person and who, who basically result indirectly killed her parents. And, and, and so I, th- I thought that, that, um, internal crisis was was really interesting to to read Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah my my biggest thing though and i've read somewhere um somebody wrote that that you look at leox and geode like the next 
next Han and Chewie is like, I don't see him that way. I like the character Leox. The Geode thing is still, it's still not there for me. I guess it's still like out. I have to read a couple more stories with the two characters. It'll be interesting to see how these characters fit going forward and where they're going to plot into this whole High Republic thing. Because you know the Jedi, we're going to keep seeing the Jedi all over again. We know the Drangir are going to keep coming back. We know the Nihil are going to keep coming back. How is, you know, Affy, Leox, and Geode going to end up working in this going forward? Yeah. 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 So, um, Let's, shall we, we... About... go ahead. So I was gonna say, we haven't talked about the other villains of the novel, which is of course the, the Nihil or the Nihil, um, who we kind of, there's a, you know, there's a bunch of refugees who join the station. One ship has two people on it, a young girl and then kind of an older mentor named Nan and Hog. Um, once they get back to Coruscant, Wreath realizes that they were uh, most likely Nihil, and he feels fooled because he had saved Non and um, like Non Bread, I guess. I don't know. Sorry, I just came to mind. Uh, <laughs> and and okay. gave her info about the the Jedi in some way, although he didn't give her that much. Um, he really didn't, but he feels no. very badly about yeah. it. Um, and so having and then there's this kind of big battle with the Nihil on the station. Um, the Nihil end up fighting the Drangir as kind of part of the Jedi plot. The Nihil mostly get wiped out as they get blown into space. And that's kind of we all, all we see of them here. Um, mm. I felt like their appearance was very different than in Light of the Jedi. Yes. In Light of the Jedi, they yeah. are a more, uh, slightly more organized group, it felt like. And we're seeing much more of the kind of high-level group. Um, they're much more... They're presented more as like they were kind of raider, like small time raiders that are making a play to become bigger. Um, this novel treats them differently. Like they feel much more, I'm not I, almost radical. I guess it might be the word. Mm-hmm. And they, mm-hmm. I guess they're radical in light of the Jedi too. But it just it, they felt different to me. Like a, a different level of seriousness almost. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I feel like I didn't even really know like which which storm are they a part of? Who do they report up through? Uh, and, I, and maybe they're not supposed to get into that in, in the book. And I, I get that. Um, you know, and they were supposed to come off as like this, this kind older man and, and, uh, and this, you know, very nice young girl who were just stranded as a result of the disaster. And, 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 you know, and so Reith Silas really tries to, to, to help her out and help them out. Uh, and they, and they bond and turns out, you know, he finds out later that they're actually Nile and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then like the Nile attack. I, don't know, I just, I felt like, like you, Steven, I felt like they were portrayed very differently than, than in light of the Jedi and, and almost less scary as well. Like the, yeah. the Drengear were, yeah. were terrifying. I thought, and maybe it's just because not in, in, and Hog were, were intentionally more. Um, uh, they were supposed to be a little more innocent and a little more blend in, right? Not be obviously evil. Uh, but mm. as a result, I it felt a lot like. I don't know. I I guess I I didn't I didn't fear the Nile at all no. in this book. No, and, and and the the only thing that I got from this when you're first introduced to the two characters, the older character. Kind of reminded me like the first time you saw Darth, first time you saw Darth Maul in Rebels, 
how he was just like this, this, you know, you felt like he was this old, decrepit man. And then you slowly see him kind of like, you know, get stronger and stronger. And then, then that turn at the end where it's like, oh my God, this is Maul. I mean, it wasn't Maul, but it had that same kind of feeling where it's like, ha ha, he was not the old, old decrepit man that you thought was, you know, not able to defend himself. He ends up being this guy. You're like, okay, great. That's fine. But I still don't see when it comes to the Nihil, what is making them so scary? I think the Drangir are more interesting. You can see where they can scare the Jedi, like I mentioned before. And my biggest question is, okay, so you get the battle at the end, and it, it was mentioned that the Jedi basically started the battle to where you have the Drangar fighting the Nihil, okay? But the feeling at the end of the book is both sides, other than the, the, the young Nihil girl that got away, but basically the Nihil side and the Drangir side were basically wiped out. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, to make sure they were all wiped out, the let's call them pods that were in the station were all jettisoned to make sure nobody was able to get away. So my question now becomes if that's been done and we knew that when it came to the drain gear, they were able to use that transport to get from their home planet to this station. If all those pods are gone, how did the drain gear get back into the universe? Yes, 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 yes. And they talked about how like they were so concerned about the drain gear taking over the galaxy and mm-hmm. you don't hear about them later, right? And it, I feel like no. I feel like this story in isolation works well because like there was this really horrible threat. There, you know, the, the Drengear have their planet, but like there's these these ships that take them back and forth to the Maxine station. That's how they 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 got out to to terrorize the galaxy previously, or could have gotten out. But with that shut down, they're kind of stuck on their home planet and nobody yep. really knows about them. No one knows they exist. No one knows where they came from. Uh, and well, in, in a way we did forget one. We did forget one Jedi night. We forgot Des Des Ryden because originally when they first got on the station, yes, they thought he was accidentally, um, uh, vaporized because they didn't understand that the tube he went into was a transport tube. They thought when he got in there, boom, he was blown out in space. But once uh, Ruth Silas said that um, he figured out it was a transport to because it was Ruth who ended up going to the planet of the Drangar and ended up getting Des to come back, then that, that's how we figured out it was a transportation system. But that's my question now is if the transport has been basically gone, how do they get back? And William, you were going that way before I – sorry to interrupt. Yeah. See, oh, so there's, I yeah. think there's an important detail though, which is I don't think the planet that we see in Into the Dark is actually the Drengear homeworld. Okay. It's Wreath kind of hypothesizes that it might be, but there's not a guarantee of it. So it's totally possible there are Drengear on multiple planets. In fact, I, I would kind of assume so. And the real risk of the whole station was that it lets people kind of bypass defenses, move across the galaxy very quickly. And that's what they were avoiding giving the Drengear, this kind of superb scouting and invasion tool now they just have to go by ship with everyone else which you know yeah who doesn't want to take a giant evil set of plants on their ship so so it took out their back door into the universe exactly so one other going back to the nihil for a moment i think the thing that really felt different to me is in into the dark the nihil felt like they've been trying to avoid the republic and now there's this kind of they're making this switch and i'm blanking the the eye um I want to say Marcus, and that's not right. Uh, uh, Marshawn uh, Rao. 
Mar- yes, thank you. So he Martian he's Rowe. making Martian Rowe is making this deliberate choice to turn the Nahale into a weapon against the Republic, but they weren't to begin with. And even in that novel, there's like ah, like I'm. It's kind of like the blustering you hear about, like oh, I'm not afraid of no Jedi. I bet I could take mm-hmm. on a Jedi by myself. Versus here, like non man, like seems to like actively hate the Jedi. It feels very very mm-hmm. personal, which doesn't young girl. Yeah, but it doesn't fit with how okay. we've seen them previously, which is, I think, what it is. Is Instead of being these characters, and again, this is all happening at the same time as the originals, it's much closer to, you know, being a... Um, they're still learning about the Republic is kind of what I'd expect. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, it's, it's an interesting difference, and I definitely agree that Drengear felt much more terrifying and were way, way more interesting to read about. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so to jump onto that when it comes to the Nihil now, not liking the Jedi, do you think that ties into because we still don't know what happened to the Jedi Master that they captured? Mm. Is it possible? And that because this is all supposition, we have no clue what's going on. Is it possible that something happened between we saw into the light and then now into the dark that something happened between there that involved that Jedi Master to make them now hate the Jedi? Uh, like to get the full story if that's the case yeah i mean the book ends with non showing up in front of marcian Rowe and kind of the like clearly setting up another story with her i don't know where right. that will show up um that's one of the things that i also find kind of frustrating around like this approach to storytelling is it ends up with a lot of like oh man this like i really liked reef silas i hope i see him again mm-hmm. don't know if yeah. i will because the each novel and comic seems to deal with different characters really so and, and that's and that's what I was going to say about and I think I cannot remember the Jedi name but the Jedi that got captured in the first book. I love that character. And now what's happening with him? And I do. I like Reese Stiles because he's an archivist and um you know I I also when it comes to Orla the the wayseeker, I'd like to see her story continue on. Yeah. Where does she go from here? Yeah. I I have a feeling they'll all pop up again. The question is where will they pop up? Will it be in a book? Will it be in a comic? Uh, a young reader, uh, you know, uh, more of an adult book, a, a junior mm. novel. It's it's really not clear where they'll show up. Right. We do know we have, you know, the next three uh, books in the High Republic coming in at the end of June and July. Uh, so that that will certainly, you know, it's not, not too long of a wait. We're looking at, you know, three months right now. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. I uh, lots of lots of questions, but I do like I like these characters a lot uh, in mm-hmm. particular, and uh, uh, especially you know, Wreath and Orla, and uh, you know, I, I'd be very interested to see you know uh, how, what if they bring back uh, Leox and Geode, and I'd love to see more of the Drengear. So lots of lots of good I mean, stuff. I, I, I'd buy a comic series about starring Geode. I mean, we can forget Leox, like just adventures of Geode. And it's just a bunch of pages. Still of just no dialogue, just Geode in different places doing different things. <laughs> and maybe it's a tie in. You can get your own mini Geode included in the novel. So you can have, you know, a, a pet Geode. What would you call that? Like um, maybe like a pet rock. Is that is that a there thing? There you go. Had a feeling that was coming. Yeah. I got a couple in my backyard if you want one. <laughs> oh boy. So are, are are we up for giving it a rating or is there anything else we, we think we missed? 
the only thing I had mentioned, and I, we talked a little bit about Comac's kind of uh, ending. I also really appreciated um, both how Reed Silas's story ends and how Des Ryden's story ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Reed, obviously the archivist, wants to be an archivist. Des, uh, very much an adventurer. And again, like I mentioned earlier, I really liked the kind of more nuanced take in some ways on like what it means to be a Jedi at this time. And I really liked that Reed realizing like, oh, I want to be the archivist. But I'm not here to do what I want to do. I'm here to do what the Force wills me to do. Mm-hmm. Des wants to be an adventurer. He realizes, no, I like it's not about what I want. It's about what does the Force want me to do? I need to mm-hmm. reconnect with the Force. And so I really appreciate that kind of level of news. I'm like, yeah, this is like what it what it looks like when the Jedi are actually kind of more in touch with kind of what the Force wants in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something that I suspect we'll see eroded well, we know is eroded as they get closer into the prequel era. Yeah. 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 Anyway, that was my, my last thought or point of discussion. Okay. I totally Time for agree. ratings? Yeah, Steven, would you like to go I'm first good. then? Since you've... You would make me go first. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Every time, William. I should just, I should just learn not to say anything. Um... <laughs> okay, Tom, you can go first. I'll go first because I actually have a good one, Brad, what I'm going to do with them. Do you mind, what? Steven? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I can't believe that worked, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to take it. I'm going to run with it. I'm actually going to give this book a seven. I enjoyed the book. Well, I enjoyed listening to the book. Um, I'm just going to give it a seven. I, again, I like what they did with the drain gear. I'm still, the jury's out on the Nihil where it's going to go, but it set up a very interesting path for the Jedi and the drain gear going forward and that's what i really want to see explored because again if the sith were afraid of the drain gear that would be a way to get the jedi to be what is this what are the jedi afraid of well whatever the sith are afraid of the jedi have to be afraid of the same thing so i'm looking at the drain gear being that thing so i'm giving this a seven because i think it set up for me a very good villain over there my seven want brats well here's the one thing Reed Silas, when he was getting rid of those uh, transport tubes, one of them was already gone, and that's because seven wacky womp rats basically are using it just to go back and forth between a planet as a thrill ride. That's it. Nothing else. No, no, no negative connotation to it. They're just taking that transport back and forth as a thrill ride, enjoying themselves, because why not? Cool. Very nice. Yeah. You're up, Steven. Um, okay. So I'm waffling a little bit. I think I would give it... I'm just going between 7.5 and 8. I think I'll land at 7.5 Womp Rats. Overall, I I thought it was a really good novel. I enjoyed it. Um, the kind of I enjoyed the A and C plots, if you will, the most. Um, B plot was okay. I really enjoyed the characters, and I, I definitely hope we see more of them. Um, Drenger definitely, I think, stood out. And I, this is one of those mm-hmm. weird cases. Like, I, William, you will know, like, I, te- I browse the internet. I don't intentionally avoid things. But somehow for both of these novels, maybe just because I wasn't super interested in the High Republic to begin with, I just, I literally had no idea what was coming with either of them. Um, like, I can genuinely say I was surprised that, like, oh, non Hog were in the Hill. I didn't know that. Like, I'm sure if I'd known the Hill were in it in a major part, like, I would have put those clues together. Um, but somehow, like, I think I'm 
enjoying I've enjoyed both of these novels more because I didn't know anything about them. I have like literally no preconceived notions, which is just weird. Um, not a space I usually find myself. So I'll give it seven and a half out of ten. Um, and you know, throughout the novel, we find out that the Drengear were uh, captured previously by you know it's hypothesized it might have been the Sith, but it turns out the Drengear have a mortal enemy that has been waging war for decades, if not centuries. And when they arrived in the Maxine Station, a secret force, a bad batch, if you will, of womp rats, numbered seven and a half, one was a cyborg, arrived on the station to cease and prevent the Drengear from ever leaving the station. Um, it's a truly harrowing tale, which you will get to discover in uh, one of the future novels, I'm sure. <laughs> That's very good. You're up, William. Yes, you know, it's it's funny, Stephen, like you, I was actually going back and forth between seven and a half and eight as well. Cause like I, I did really enjoy I really enjoyed this book. I think it's my it's my favorite of the of the High Republic so far, of the three High Republic books they've released. Um I, I really liked what Claudia Gray did with it. I while I wish I'd been surprised by the drinkier, I was surprised by Nan and and and, and Haig. I was surprised about how uh Des right and uh, you know, I suspected he would be alive, but his his untimely demise was was pretty surprising as well. I mean, one moment he was there, and one moment he was he was not. Um, and I, and I had a feeling he'd return, but I didn't know how or how they'd be able to explain it. Um, and you know, again, this the the removal of the statue is also surprising. So I I, I liked how there was a lot of surprises, even if they kind of tipped their hand about the Drengear, arguably the biggest surprise. Um, mm-hmm in advance. Um, but you know, again, I, I, I like the characters. I like the, I like how it was a smaller, more focused book and I'm looking forward to, to seeing what happens next and whether they reuse these characters in some future star Wars books. So, uh, I'm going to give it, uh, I, I, I did land on seven and a half as well. I kept going back and forth though. I almost went with seven, seven point seven five, and tried to cheat. But... I did too. It makes you feel better. <laughs> I, yes, it, it is cheating, William, and it doesn't count. And you should feel good for not doing that. Um, oh, why not just go seven point seven five? But 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 anyway, I I I I really enjoyed it. Um, my seven and a half womp rats. Uh, actually, so what you don't know is that when they removed the the statues uh and, and you know unbound them they also the statues were there to 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 bind a much more uh scary threat than the drink gear i'm talking about seven and a half womp rats and and now the seven and a half womp rats are going to be have been freed from the station they are starting to multiply and the station is is consumed with womp rats and they might have tricked the drink gear into being frozen again, but the Womp Rats are, they're still running rampant. Mm-hmm. They always are. They are. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Good one. Yeah. Well, um, this has been a fun review. It's nice to be back talking mm-hmm. with you guys. It's been, it's been too long. Uh, it's been a, almost a little, about a month and a half again, I think, uh, since, since we released an episode, but we're going to have a lot more content coming your way. As we talked about, we have The Bad Batch coming out May 4th. The new Thrawn book, Thrawn Ascendancy, yes. Created Good, also comes out May 4th. So that's going to be a big day uh, for Star well, Wars It's going to be a great day. 
Um, there's, uh, you know, there's, uh, uh, of course, the Gendy Tartakovsky series, which we're hoping to review uh, as well or re-review. And we've never done, done it on this podcast, but it'd be fun to go back and, and, and discuss those episodes again. So there's a lot of really good content coming out. So stay tuned. We're going to be coming at you uh, pretty regularly again in just uh, about a month or so. So, so, so wait a minute, one more thing. Does that mean that when we do the, the clone wars series, we can go back to, we talk clones for like one brief episode again, or just, you know, Ooh. <laughs> well, see that, that was, we could, I mean, that was never, you know, that was, that was never really part of the, the original podcast though. So, you know, maybe, that's, you know what? No, we have to, we have to stay eye on canon. It would be fun. Yeah. If we have the music and stay eye on canon. <laughs> but wait a minute, we still use the same music. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I think let's out of here. Yeah, but anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. And we will be back in, uh, in a couple weeks probably uh, with our review of either the Getting Tartakovsky Clone Wars series or Thrawn or definitely, as soon as it premieres, The Bad Batch. So stay Ooh, tuned. Bad Batch. Bad Batch. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncannoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.